Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. Hello and welcome to the Mischief Makers podcast. I'm Charlie Russell and I'm recording in London today. And I am thrilled to introduce our guest. It is the actor, director, producer and all-round total legend, Daniel Day Kim. Hello, Daniel. I'm never going to live up to that intro. Uh, (laughs) Hello, Charlie. So good to see you. So good to be here. Oh, it's so nice to have you here. It's absolutely amazing. Obviously, we also often call you DDK. As you would. Do you get called that a lot? I do, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, at the hotel where I'm staying, uh, they've started calling me DDK, which is really odd. Um, But that's a first at a hotel. Go figure. There you go. Um, So if people don't know, um, Mischief and Daniel worked together for two weeks at the Amundsen Theatre in L.A. So we were doing Peter Pan Goes Wrong in America. We took it to L.A. And we had these incredible celebrity narrators. And Daniel came in for two weeks. And we had quite a lot of fun. Did you know what you were letting yourself in for when you joined us? Uh, Not completely. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, I'm a big fan of theater. Mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of improv. I'm a big fan of farce. And Mm -hmm. so when I heard that you were coming into town and I heard it was just a narrator role, Mm -hmm. I thought, well, this could be fun. A couple of weeks, the strike and... uh, you know, I thought, let's let's give it a try. But I had no idea how much work it would entail. Yeah. It was not just to read some lines while p- other people act behind you. There was so much uh, there was so much interaction with the mm-hmm. cast that uh, it surprised me. And the part that was uh, basically seven minutes of fill this space uh, <laughs> uh, terrified me uh, because I wasn't sure what I was going to do there. And mm-hmm. I didn't know that that was part of the gig when I signed up. Oh, dear. We didn't explain that to you. Um, I think some people want to know sort of how it even came about, you know, People say, oh, did you just call him? But it was it was CTG and the people at the theatre, right, who called you. And then we were told we might have Daniel Day Kim and it all came about. Is that approximately right? Yeah, that's kind of how I heard it. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I got a, a message uh, from the people at the theatre saying... This company is coming into town. You know, they're they're incredible. They're they're well regarded. They've gotten all these awards and recognition. And I thought, and then they asked me, would I consider mm-hmm. just joining them for a really quick, easy, you know, one mm-hmm. or two week uh, gig? And so, uh, for all the reasons I just mentioned, uh, I was happy to do it. Mm-hmm. You um, now, I'm gathering this is not loaded, but you didn't know about the company before. 
No, I didn't. You know, I'd I'd heard of the plays on mm-hmm. Broadway. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember the play that goes wrong, uh, and I remember hearing about Peter Pan that Peter Pan goes wrong, but I'd never seen any of the mm-hmm. shows, and I didn't realize how huge a following <laughs> Mischief had. I really had no idea. I thought this was a a one off somewhere, mm-hmm. um, but. You know, once I started working with you guys, I started doing a really deep dive into all of your work, and it's extensive and incredibly high quality. Well, that is high praise. Thank you very much coming from you. And you had about one day to rehearse? Yes. <laughs> one, <laughs> one full day. A one full day <laughs> and maybe an hour or two elsewhere. Yeah. Um, I haven't been nervous uh, in a really long time, but really? I was... I was terrified when uh, when that the opening night came uh, for me because I just didn't know if I knew what I was going to do and I didn't know if the bits worked and uh, you know I just wanted to be as I wanted to do justice to the rest of the company because you're all so funny and so talented. That's really sweet. I mean, I can't imagine that you're not nervous anymore. I suppose. To me, you know, the idea of doing a massive TV show or a film would terrify me. But that's part of what you do quite a lot now when you film a film. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's a little bit like when you get ready to go on stage every night. Mm-hmm. You know the show backwards and forwards. And mm-hmm. so you know what to expect, more or less. Mm-hmm. Right. Something, any, something can go wrong at any night. But uh, for the most part, y- you've got it under control and you can have fun because you know it so well. Mm-hmm. But for me, it was a little bit. Like, you know, I was the, every narrator that comes in or kid that came in in America was kind of a new kid on the block, right? Yeah. You were walking into a family, you know, you, got, you all know each other so well. And so you want to be respectful of that. And at the same time, you want to contribute in such a way that um, you enhance the show if you can, mm-hmm. that you add value. You don't want to walk out of there and, and, you know, be talked about like, well, I'm glad that's over. Oh, <laughs> you know, like, who's the next guy? <laughs> Definitely so, not. We um, had so much fun. And it wasn't just on stage, right? Like, we had so much fun kind of off stage. And you really, um, I don't know, you felt like one of the team when getting involved. I know that we, we, you took us out to Little Tokyo for lunch. So if listeners didn't, didn't know this, it took us out of this beautiful lunch in Little Tokyo and like, walked us around, and that was amazing. We had uh, a Korean barbecue, followed by karaoke. Yes, we did. Uh, yes, <laughs> <laughs> which went on until the wee small hours. I, uh, I hadn't heard you sing before then. Oh, well, I'm sorry. <laughs> you had to hear that. <laughs> it was just a very surreal moment where at one point, I believe you were doing a duet with Neil Patrick Harris. Do uh, I yes, remember that that's correctly? that's correct. That is correct. It just, like, it's one of those things you can't really describe to anyone. Like, yeah, 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 I've just come from, you know, I live in South London and I sort of like have a cat that I have to take to the vet. But the other <laughs> week I was at karaoke and Daniel Day Kim and Neil Patrick Harris did a duet. Um, it was a very surreal moment. Well, it was a fun moment for me, too. Anytime I can show anyone Koreatown, and especially people not from America, mm-hmm. it's a treat. Um, and, like, I had as much fun as you guys teaching you how to uh, drink Korean style, all the, <laughs> the proper drinking etiquette. And that was a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, thank you so much, because I think that's the other thing. Like, we went to L.A., and actually, a few of us had been to New York before, but we hadn't been to L.A., most people, and I certainly hadn't been to Koreatown. And there was just so much more to LA than I realized. There was just so much to see. And it is a really special place, isn't it? Yeah, and you know, when you're on a show schedule, I remember asking you if you'd been around and you guys had said, no, we we had one day off and we went to go see like Santa Monica or mm-hmm. Venice, but there is a lot to see in LA. It's really sprawling. It's a little bit like London mm-hmm. in that way, you know. 
um, takes an hour to get places, you know, even if it's not geographically far. Uh, and, you know, and so I wanted to take the opportunity to kind of show you parts of L.A. that I knew. It was so nice. It was just like, yeah, we all became very fond of you. Oh, well, the feeling's mutual. <laughs> oh, thank you. That's why I'm here. <laughs> and we also had a little informal whiskey tasting. Yeah, um, you know, a, a lot of fellow whiskey lovers. So, it was. You know, it, we all came together one night and just, like, tried them all. And I learned how to put a little bit of water in. That, there you go. And that's not, you know, some people are, like, really snobby about that. They say, never put ice or water in your whiskey. But, you know, it actually, for some whiskeys, can really enhance it. Yeah. I know that a lot of people know you for your TV and your film. Um, but it's not that theater is new to you. Like, maybe improv was new to you, but... Theater wasn't. Yeah, I started my career in theater. Um, I went to drama school in New York, uh, and uh, my first major jobs were all classical plays. I really? Did, uh, what, like, a, like what? I did Doll's House. I did The Tempest. I did Romeo and Juliet. Oh. Uh, yeah, so that was how I started. Um, but most people don't know me from that. No, not at all. I mean, what was it like? Is it the theater that made you more nervous with us, like you doing Peter Pan? Or is it more that because it was so unknown, the work itself? It was really the jumping in part. Yeah. You know, when you're when you're in a production from the first day of rehearsal, you're building it together. Mm -hmm. But what intimidated me was that you guys had done thousands of shows. <laughs> and so... You know, the stereotypical thing is when you see a company and, and the, you know, they're about to go on stage and you see them smoking a cigarette going, when's my cue? I'm, I'm so over this, you know. And then they go on stage, you know. Um, and so, but you guys were very clearly uh, a tight-knit family, you know. And, mm. and so that was the part that I felt like I, was, I wanted to catch up on. Mm. I love being on stage. I really enjoy it. So that part was one of the major attractions to me, mm. like the fact that I could do a play again. And it wasn't like a six-month, one-year commitment. This was just popping in and out. And, you know, and I wasn't carrying the show. I was mm. just being a part of it. I wonder if that happens to you anymore. Like, if you're off at theater, are you ever not carrying the show now? Because of your status and your, you know well-deserved acclaim and fame. Do you ever get to do something where you're not carrying it and having that burden? Well, last night. Oh, yes! <laughs> and that was beautiful in its own way because I was in no way carrying that show. And uh, similar to Peter Pan Goes Wrong, I just wanted to make sure I held my own and added some value. So, hashtag about last night. Um, Daniel Dickham is in London at the moment because he has been in the Rodgers and Hammerstein 80th anniversary concert, My Favourite Things. Theatre Royal Drury Lane. Now, you can't see it now because when this airs, it's happened. Um, but I went to see the matinee and it was amazing. Um, and it's sort of loads of different people who've done Rodgers and Hammerstein shows performing the songs with incredible orchestration. And Daniel came in and played his king. Yeah, I was lucky enough to um, be a part of a production of The King and I here in London in 2009. And so when um, they started putting together this 80th anniversary celebration, uh, they reached out to me and said, would you like to come to London and sing a puzzlement? And I, I was so excited at the, at the idea of coming to London because I love it here. Uh, I have friends here like mm -hmm. yourself. Uh, and also then terrified because I don't consider myself a singer the way that the people around me are singers. Mm -hmm. Like we uh, had in our cast Audra McDonald and Patrick Wilson and Michael Ball. And uh, I mean, I could just go down the list of how many amazing singers. Like if you count the number of 
Tony Awards and Olivier Awards hey. and Grammy Awards, it you know you could fill a you could fill this room with them. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, it, it was a little intimidating because I am I don't call myself a singer. You know, I can carry a tune and I love my karaoke, but uh, <laughs> it's a whole different ball game. I uh, can't even imagine. It's so funny, of course, to someone like me. I'm like, what time you take him? You can't you can't possibly be like intimidated and nervous. Mm. But I suppose. You know, you recognize all that incredible experience and talent, right? If you respect it, you yeah. know, you, I mean, there's some actors and some people who come into any situation thinking I'm the shit, right? Like, <laughs> no matter where I am. But all you have to do is listen to their voices to know that that is not something that comes without a lot of hard work and a gift. Yeah, I mean, it's the, it's, I'm, I think you and I are very similar, John, um, in that I also don't I don't consider myself musical theatre, but I do know I can hold a tune. I sing a song in Peter Pan. You know, I feel fine there. But, but when you watch performances like that where you think, oh, you're an athlete, mm-hmm. like you have put in years and years, and that is craft, like serious craft and skill. It is overwhelming to watch. I, I was blown away by the performances. And also because I actually... I'm a secret Rodgers and Hammerstein, like, total lover. I didn't realize, I'd sort of forgotten because I'd grown up on it and then hadn't kind of gone back to the songs and then I did last night. I'm going to tell the audience, I um, I shed a tear during um, Shall We Dance, which was such a beautiful moment because it was a, it was something that me and my mum used to, like, sing around the house. Like, do you find that, the connection with that music? People have such deep connections to it. Absolutely. And in fact, it's so funny that you say that you thought about your mom because I thought about my mom. Really? Yeah. My earliest connections to any musicals, let alone Rodgers and Hammerstein, was when I was in like second grade, starting when I was in second grade. My family used to sit down and watch The Sound of Music every year, every year without fail. In fact, I could probably quote you line for line, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. that musical. And so... When I was doing the performance and I was listening to all these people go through the songs of The Sound of Music, I just thought of my mom and yeah. how much she would have loved to be here. And thankfully, it's being um, telecast. So, Is it? Yeah. I think it's, um, in America, it'll be PBS, uh, great performances. And I'm not sure where it will be in, in London or England, but I think it will be broadcast maybe, here somewhere. Maybe um, if it's PBS, maybe BBC or something. Uh, maybe. Yeah, we should keep an eye out. Oh, that's so lovely that you thought of your mom. And you, you all sang Edelweiss at the end? Yeah, yeah. Oh. And I totally remember that song, like Christopher Plummer and, oh. and, and in the movie. And, you know, uh, th- what a beautiful moment that was. And literally my parents would hum that song around the house, you know. Wow. Uh, so it brought back a lot of memories. And, of course, The King and I, too, because oh, yeah. I was lucky enough to play it twice. And hearing Maria Friedman's voice... Uh, sing some of those songs and the shall we dance moment when they break out into the dance it's mm-hmm. such a it's such a crowd pleasing moment it's so satisfying and um, it, uh, you know uh, I felt like the audience felt the same way oh totally there was a moment actually when because I think we're all looking at you both and you weren't wearing the costumes obviously mm-hmm. so Maria wasn't wearing the big hooped dress but Maria herself commented on that it was over 10 years ago that you did it and mm-hmm. so she was like oh you know I was younger then so I wondered whether I mean, she was still cracking, wasn't she? Yeah. Um, but I wondered whether you would dance. And then you did. And I could just feel, I just felt the whole room lift up and sort of smile and, and watching you two dance with such joy as well with each other because mm. you, you clearly got on so well. Yeah. No, she's, an, she's one of my dearest friends to this day. And we worked together 
in 2009. And so this is one of the reasons I love England and London. Everyone I've met has been so kind and gracious, very, very different from, you know, the stereotype of the cold Brit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so I love coming back here. I come back here every chance I get. Well, continue to do so, please, because you have <laughs> even more friends now. Well, you too, Charlie. I mean, when we first met, you couldn't have been kinder. I mean, oh. that, and that's the thing that I r- remember. And that's a lot of the reason I'm here. You know, when you're an outsider coming into a group, uh, you know, it's much more difficult, as I said before, like uh, uh, compared to when you start working together, you know, from equal footing. And, you know, I never presume anything in terms of status or anything like that. So it's really just about who makes you feel welcome, who extends themselves, because it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's kindness, and you were very kind. Oh, oh, thank you. Well, it was easy to be kind to you and welcome you in. Um, I didn't realize you did it twice. I had it down that you did it at the Royal Albert Hall, but you did it again? I did it at Lincoln Center in 2017. Oh, yes, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. So, I don't even know if I know the answer to this as an actor who's done both, but do you experience a huge difference for yourself in regards to enjoyment or fulfillment, a preference for screen or theatre? They're different to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's obviously some similarities, but the requirements, the physical requirements of theater are different from television and film. Uh, and it also depends on the length of the run, the mm. complexity of the show. I remember I was probably never more tired than when I was doing eight shows a week of The King and I at yeah. Lincoln Center. Um, it's a three-hour show. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you have an hour in between your matinee and your evening performance and you know you have another three hours and maybe another two shows the next day, you know, that, that's a that's a gut check. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I on Mondays after, the, after a five-show weekend sometimes, mm-hmm. I would just be exhausted. And, of course, we know that days off are not really days off, right? Right, yes. You're not doing the show, but you're living your life. You're paying your bills. You're running your errands. <laughs> you're getting your laundry, you know. Oh, and, yeah. You know, and all that stuff. So... Um, you know, it it can be tough, physically tough. And for me, the thing that's unique about doing musical theater is that I've never had a job where I had to check in with my voice more. Mm. Every morning, the first thing I would do when I woke up was, <clears throat> mm, mm, where's my voice today? You know, how am I going to adjust? How much should I be speaking or how little should I be speaking before my shows? I know. That's very unique to musical theater mm. um, because if you don't have your voice you don't have a performance yeah yeah because you can actually do there's a point where you can still do a play with a with a rough voice with a voice that's not quite as powerful or um it's a little lower in pitch 
it's harder when you don't have a microphone, I think, but um, y- you can do it. Whereas I noticed even just having to sing the song in Peter Pan, I think, oh, what if I can do the rest of Wendy and she can be a bit husky and that could be funny. But what if I can't sing the song? What happens? Do we do it? Do I go on or do I not get to go on and do the show just because I can't reach that note today? And it is quite terrifying. And you start to do things like we had um, a wonderful party for our um, opening here in London. But the the music in the in the bar was just really right. loud. That's a killer. Yeah. And what do you do? Because you want to have a nice time. You don't want to look like that kind of, I don't know, haughty actor who's like, I can't talk to you in my voice. <laughs> but actually, I have a show to do tomorrow. And if I can't do it properly, that's people who've paid X amount of money not getting the show that they should get. It's it's. People think you're being really fussy. I think yeah. actually you have you have to take care of it, don't you? Yeah, that that's it, isn't it? Like when you are being featured in a show and people are coming to see you, you owe it to them to to give yourself the best opportunity to, to give them the best performance. Mm-hmm. You know, and everything else is a second priority. But it is hard when your good friends are in town and they want to yeah. go to a bar and it's loud and you're talking like this for like three hours. And, and when I was younger. It would be no problem. But now, I definitely feel it the next day. Oh, I was worried after our karaoke. <laughs> I, I was like, oh my goodness. By the way, mm. you were extraordinary at that karaoke. <laughs> and not just the singing, but the dance moves. What? I have it on video, folks. I have no! evidence. I Dude. have evidence. So, uh, yeah, I was... It, it made me so happy seeing you guys embrace the moment. Like, all of you getting up and just singing and dancing and just having fun. I had such a good time. <laughs> I did think I possibly took over the karaoke at one point. I was like, I'll do another one. I'll do another one. I was but that's one. what I loved. You know, like, it wasn't just you. Was so many people just seized the moment. <laughs> mm. Oh, there's a great um, image. We've got to find it somewhere for our, for our listeners. But... Um, Jonathan Sayer, being from Manchester, the first song he chose was an Oasis song and he put on his sunglasses and he put one hand behind his back and he did the full pose and he was like, today is going to be the day. And it was absolutely amazing. It was so great. Yeah, I love that people didn't hold back. Karaoke is no fun if you get like a bunch of people who are reluctant to sing, (laughs) you know. But thankfully we did it on a Sunday night. That's right. So we all had Monday to Mm. recover. Mm. Jesus. Um, so do you prefer one or the other? It's just that they're different. It depends on the project, right. yeah. Like, you just want to be... I mean, I'm sure you feel the same way. Mm-hmm. You just want to be a part of good material. Right. Right, and working with the right people. And um, if you're lucky enough to be able to, to go back and forth between mm-hmm. mediums, then, then uh, all the better. Because you must have done... I forgot my dates right. You must have done King and I in the final year of Lost or something. So it was in the break between... Uh, yeah, the second to last year and the final year. So it was a limited engagement, which was really tough because we did four weeks of rehearsal, which is a proper amount of time for Mm -hmm. a a, a full run. But then we only ran for like three weeks. So just as I felt like we were getting footing, you know, we were closing. Wow. Oh, that's quite sad. Although the opposite is true of Lost. I mean, I, I... Loved your answers. I, I talked to you about this in LA a bit, and I, so I was sort of hoping we might discuss it again if that's all right. Sure. But we had some good conversations about it. You know, at the time, honestly, did you have any inkling that Lost was going to be what it was? No, well, you know, I, I'm, I hope I said that to you last you time did, too. Yeah. yeah, I did not. <laughs> it's a leading question. <laughs> uh, you know, um, 
there was nothing like it on television before. Right. And and so when you hear about a show about castaways, you think like Gilligan's Island. I don't know if you had that here in the, in, in the UK, but uh, it's a show about it's a comedy about you know, five or six people who take a tour off of the coast of California and they end up on a deserted island. So the joke was when Lost first came out, what is this, the new Gilligan's Island? (laughs) So I thought to myself, well, I'm going to move my family out there. Uh, At the time, I had my wife and I had kids who were seven and two. And, And I thought, let's go out there. And if the show gets canceled within like two or three episodes, at least we can say we lived in Hawaii for a couple of weeks. <laughs> wow, that's that was your sort of like, oh, we'll get two or three weeks of Hawaii. Yeah, and it'll be a nice vacation for the family. That's really how I thought about it. And, uh, and even as it succeeded, uh, this is a story I don't think I told you, uh, after the first season, it, would st- it was starting to gain momentum, and I thought, well, you never know if it's going to last another season. So... Right. I remember the reward to myself after finishing season one was buying myself a television, and uh, and it was it was at that time really big. It was like thirty inches, <laughs> <laughs> and it was something that sat you could sit on a on like a, a little cupboard or something like that. And uh, I'll never forget that when I bought that television, I saved the box because I thought at any moment. We may need to move back to Los Angeles, and you know we'll need that box to mm-hmm. put the TV in because I don't want to leave the TV here. I saved that box for seven years. My gosh, that's not a joke. Uh, and I saved it because it was a reminder of the temporary nature of this career and this mm-hmm. job. Wow, and yeah, I mean, that's just quite a lot to think about, really. Do you think? Were you were you stressed and nervous about it canceling? Was it more you were accepting that it could, and you just weren't gonna um, you weren't gonna get ahead of yourself? Could could somebody argue that you you know you you didn't oh relax into it? Did you did you still enjoy it whilst you had it? So yeah, I no, it's a very I, clear question. But. No, it's a great it's a it's a great question. I did, um, I did enjoy it. I enjoyed it for what for the opportunity it was providing me. Mm-hmm. And I just never took it for granted. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the way I approach my career in general. I don't ever feel entitled to a mm-hmm. job. Mm-hmm. I don't ever feel like it's assured that I'm going to go from this superstar thing to this superstar thing or even a small thing. Mm. No one should – not, not, now I'm, I don't want to preach, but it's the very rare person in our industry that can really pick and choose everything that they want to do. Mm. I know how much I struggled early on in my career, mm-hmm. and I never forget that part of those times in my life and who I was during those times. And so it shapes the way I feel about my career going forward. It's why I take opportunities like Peter Pan Goes Wrong or uh, the concert last night because they're challenging in the best of ways and the things that I would not normally get to do. Mm-hmm. And so why not if someone is asking me to do them? and they're not compromising me in any way artistically or personally, mm. take the challenge. Mm-hmm. Give it a try. You know, um, you know. I often have this image of me, and now I'm getting, like, all we psychological, but I have this image of me, uh, like, if I'm lucky enough to grow old to, like, in my 80s, on my rocking chair somewhere on a patio, just thinking, I got to do that. Yeah. I got to do this. You know, and if I can get to that point, then... You know, it'll be a life well lived. Yeah. And 
I sometimes think, you know, we as actors, we're kind of jealous of those people who it seemed seemingly, and it is always just only from the outside, that, oh, things came easily and they went straight from, say, training to a big role. And and sure, that I'm sure that is brilliant. But I'm always grateful for the years where I had to do another job and then do the show in the evening and get up the next day to do a full job because, yes, it it, it provides you a few things, right? Like just as you said, and you, you don't take it for granted, but also as well, like, I don't know, it makes you, um, yeah, you don't get too big-headed and you remember that it can always go back the other way because that sense of entitlement can just, actually, I imagine, ruin careers. Yeah, you it, say no to things because you think for some reason you shouldn't do it or you should be better or you should be able to be one of those people who can pick and choose. Yeah, there's no question that it's ruined careers. I've seen it. Really? Yeah, for sure. And so, and just because you don't take it for granted doesn't necessarily mean that you don't embrace the opportunity and that you don't commit fully. Exactly. You know, it's it's a combination of both those things. Yeah, it's not sitting in, oh, God, I'm so lucky. Oh, I shouldn't even be here. Oh, no, you know, that would be sort of you weren't then actually making the most of it as well. Yeah, that's exactly it. How do you maximize the opportunity? And that's in a show like Lost, where people were getting killed off every year. It wasn't just a question of like holding on until you get fired. It was like, what can I what can you do with the material that you get? How can you make the most of it? And, you know, in the case of my character, um, I think that attitude helped me stay on for the duration of the series, because Mm -hmm. I don't know if I told you this, but my character was actually supposed to be killed off in season one. Yes, you did mention yeah. that. So, um, you so know, what happened? Uh, you know, I, I think it was a combination of things. There were uh, there was a writer who was fighting for my character, and there was something in the performance that that the writers felt like they could write to. Mm. So, um, it's just a testament to you know working hard and not 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 defeating yourself. Mm-hmm. Wow, wow! I mean, that's incredible advice for anyone. I think at all stages because. It doesn't have to be lost where you take on that mentality. It doesn't have to be some insane TV sh- show. But as you say, you didn't even know it was what it was at the time. Yeah. So, yeah, if it's that... I mean, there was a show I did above a pub and then it became the play that goes wrong. So you're right. You should just there you go. maximize it. No one can... Especially in our business, you can't really chart a path. You can only make the most of your opportunities and see where they lead you. Mm-hmm. And you really did, because the other thing you did, was this whilst you were in Lost, did you set up your production company? Actually, that was while I was doing Hawaii Five-0. Hawaii Five-0, yeah. apologies, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because, of course, you went from Lost and then to Hawaii Five-0. Was that just to stay in Hawaii? It was. <laughs> not just and, to. I mean, not just to, but the, my number one priority at the time were my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, they, one of, my oldest son was about to enter high school at the time. Oh, wow, yeah. And my younger son was uh, just finishing elementary school. And the last thing I wanted them wanted to do was to move them to a city like L.A. or New York, right as they were a crucial part in parts of their, you know, lifetimes. Mm-hmm. And so, so when Hawaii Five O came around, I jumped at the opportunity, not because I wanted to go right back into television. All of my, all of my castmates were doing films and going off and doing interesting things and traveling, but my priority was always my family. They were always my kids, and so. I wanted them to have the continuity of experience of living in one place. Mm. And Hawaii, for an Asian-American family, is exceptionally special. And so I wanted them to stay. And that's that's what led to the decision for Hawaii Five-0. I mean, sort of many things I want to ask you. I mean, can you tell us why it's an ex- exceptional place to live for an Asian-American family? Sure. Um, you know, 
in the U.S., uh, Asian Americans make up about 10% of the population. Mm -hmm. In Hawaii, it's almost 30 to 40%. And if you combine the Asian American population with the Native Hawaiian population and other minorities, it's the only place in America where whites are in the minority. Right. And so it is a place that is more racially balanced than anywhere else I know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can still speak English, you know. <laughs> and, and so it's I never I never feel when I'm in Hawaii that I am a minority mm-hmm. or that I am someone who is other. Mm-hmm. And I wanted my kids to have that feeling because I had that so much when I was growing up in uh, on the mainland. Yeah. Oh, I'm, so, I'm sorry that you felt that way and had that experience when you were growing up. Uh, I did, but, you know, <clears throat> it didn't kill me. It made me stronger. Mm-hmm. Honestly, like, that's it's the thing about perspective and attitude. Like, you can look at all of your obstacles as reasons to quit or you can find ways around them and use those obstacles as fuel to mm-hmm. succeed. And that's the flip side. Um Living in Hawaii, it is a privilege to be allowed to be mediocre, (laughs) (laughs) you know, as an Asian person. Right. Where where it really wasn't for me. Like I had had to make myself exceptional in some way. Right. Um, And so, but I still wanted my kids in Hawaii to have that ambition, that drive, that sense of purpose. Because when the surf's up, most people (laughs) check out. (laughs) So... Um, it was finding the right balance between all of those things. And you were just touching as well on what it's like to be um, someone who has a family in this industry because it can be, I don't know from experience, I don't have children, but, you know, I'm aware that it is. Re- it can be really, really challenging. And actually you, hearing you talk about, you know what, I made a choice that really was about my family, not just my career, and how that actually seemed to really pay off in many ways. You know, you can't connect the dots looking forward, only backward. And mm. so it turned out to be the right choice. But I guess it just goes to show you that if you can follow your heart and, you know, you have a solid compass, then, you know, you're going to make the right choice. Yeah. And sort of knowing knowing within yourself, right, your authentic self, what it is that is important to you, the the decisions become easier to make. Exactly. Yeah. I feel like when I'm trying to make a choice and I realize that actually what I'm considering is how something might look or how other people are going to perceive or what's the inverted commas right thing to do, it becomes very difficult. Mm -hmm. But if I connect back to the things that matter to me then and important to me about life, then they all start to become a bit easier. Yeah, I agree. Like someone once told me, just write down your goals. Just write them down. You don't Mm -hmm. have to think too hard about them. Write them down because – when you're faced with a tough decision, all you have to do is look at them and say, well, what are, oh, well, I guess I should do this based on what I wrote down like six months ago. Yeah, because in the moment, it become become quite easy to get distracted by all the other voices and the noise. Mm-hmm. But actually, you wrote it six months ago and it's still true. And it's like just a little sort of touchstone for you. Yeah, no, that's it. And so, you know, I don't regret the decision to do Hawaii Five O at all. Like no. It got, allowed me to stay in Hawaii, allowed me to have a nice home, like put my kids through college. You know, mm. I'm very grateful for all of it. And then you started 3AD. Yeah, that's right. So 3AD is my production company. And, and <clears throat> when actors renegotiate their contracts, uh, if you're lucky enough to be on a successful show, they often just ask for more money. I decided to ask for uh, the funds and the infrastructure for a production company because I'd been doing television for, at that point, maybe 10 years. And I'd learned a thing or two about how shows get made 
I actually shadowed people from every different department on the show just to see like what wardrobe did on any given day or how the grips operate and you know what the script supervisor does uh, just because I had the chance you know like right. you know when you're working on a show for that long some day you have days off and there's nothing to say that on a day off you can't do something that people would pay lots of money to get the opportunity to do and so I just wanted to learn about it to see how things worked on a macro level mm -hmm. um, and then I thought, I could do this. I could produce, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, and I know I have a perspective and a point of view about the material I'd like to do. Mm -hmm. Why not give it a try? That's incredible. And, and just, just can you explain a bit more about how, what you actually asked for? Is that, is that okay for you to say like, what it is you asked for? So you can ask for a certain sum of money to be able to hire an executive to help you or an assistant to help you and, you know, funds for an office, um, which is often on a studio lot. So it's not that they have to pay for it. They just have to give you an, uh, an empty office that happens to be at the studio space. So um, that's kind of how it works. And then after that, you're on your own. Wow. But how, how did you even know to ask for that? Uh, I just knew that I'd seen producers on the lot, yeah. the, the people who created Hawaii Five-0. Some of them I'd come, become close to. I asked them how they did it and, and what they did, uh, and that's how it happened. You asked just the good questions. It's not for everybody. It really yeah. isn't. Like Some people are very content uh, just acting, and I don't mean to say just acting. Mm -hmm. Acting is a pursuit all of its own, and both of us know that. But you know, other people have interests in other areas and just because you're an actor doesn't mean that you're limited to that lane no. you know uh, that's why so many actors direct or some produce and some write mm. why not do everything you're, you're, you're being given permission to do yeah. and <laughs> I guess you could go further and say why even ask for permission why not do it yeah wow and tell us um, tell us about the sort of ethos or raison d'etre of your company I know we talked about this when we were in LA but um Tell the people listening. Sure. Um, well, when I first started acting back in the 90s, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, there were very few roles for Asian Americans. Um, and uh, there were very few roles for people of color. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember thinking to myself, you know, what would be great was to create kind of a, um, a hub, uh, a safe place so that actors and writers and musicians and poets and painters could get together, find a sense of community, and uh, help each other grow as artists. I had that in instinct the year I started acting professionally, once I saw what the landscape looked like. And so once uh, I had the opportunity to start a production company, that was the vision for it. Like, I wanted to create a place where underrepresented people could create, feel free, have a home. Mm. Um, it's also why I created, uh, I was a co-creator of uh, a space at Su the Sundance Film Festival mm -hmm. uh, called the Sunrise Collective. That is literally a home, a lodge uh, on Main Street in the heart of the Sundance Film Festival for all the Asian filmmakers, all the creatives, even the executives, the actors who come in. So in between their promotional gigs and their screenings, they could come in, have some coffee, get warm you know, chat, get to know each other, and then we have programming during the day that celebrates a lot of these films that we're lucky enough to get in and be in competition. So it's about trying to create a home for people who have 
not historically had one. Right, and I think that's it. That I think maybe people who've always been part of the privileged groups, like myself, you know, white people, we 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 don't understand why there's a need to be a home, but that's because everywhere is our home in this industry at the moment. And so, actually, yeah, to hear, of course, that it might not actually feel like that. In fact, it definitely doesn't feel like that for so many people. But you probably can't even understand it because you've just not had that experience. But you're using your your power, I suppose, um, and your experience and stuff to create that for people. It's just incredible. Uh, you know, it's. I think a lot of people are doing it. You know, mm-hmm. and right now. Diversity is, is is a very trendy word. It's mm-hmm. it's a very buzzworthy word, but it was important to me from the time I started acting. And right. and, and speaking of loss, I will tell you, I don't, you don't really have the pilot system here in in the UK, but mm. traditionally um, during television season, there's one time of year where everyone is fighting to get the jobs for the shows that are going to be on in the fall, that's and right. that can go for years and years and years. And that's called pilot season. It's a little bit different now than it used to be, but I remember after drama school, all of my my friends and I were all going out for pilot season. The majority of my friends uh, were white, and they were having two, three auditions a day Whoa. Uh, for for pilots. And they they kept complaining that I don't know how I can prepare all of these auditions. I'm supposed to go from this part of town to that part of town, um, you know, and I've got ten pages to prepare for this and fifteen for that. I don't know how I can do it. All legitimate concerns, by mm-hmm. the way, all mm-hmm. completely legitimate. The year I got lost, I had three auditions in three months. Wow. Lost was one of those three. So wow. if I did not get that part, it was gone for me. There was that the hope of being a series regular on television was completely gone. For, a, for another year. Yeah. So if you think about like baseball, the batting average that a person in my situation has to have is something that would put him in the Hall of Fame. Right. <laughs> you need to get a third of all your auditions <laughs> yeah. because you might only get three. That's right. And so Goodness. that's an example of the difference in experience mm-hmm. that we're Absolutely. talking about. Yeah, completely. Um, that's so exciting. And also you made The Good Doctor, which represents neurodiversity as well. And you're making all these other incredible projects that we keep hearing about. They're oh, thanks. Exciting. Thanks for mentioning that. I, w- I will say it's not just about race. It's just really about who are the people in the margins. And, mm-hmm. you know, my company, like when we think about projects to select, we 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 kind of equate it to like a high school party. You know, yeah. we all know who the popular kids are. They're always at the center of the party. They're the center of attention. They're around the the alcohol. They're they're dancing and whooping it up. Everyone knows the story of the party, but I want to tell the story from the perspective of the people who are on the margins of that party. Or I want to tell the perspective of the people who were not invited, invited. to I was going to say, yeah. <clears throat> wow. I think that's brilliant. And actually, of course, we all benefit from that because, we've, as you say, we hear the story of the popular kids all the time. So mm-hmm. everyone benefits from you continuing to tell those stories and center those experiences. It's yeah. really, really cool. Um, well, thank you so much. I was going to finish up and wind up. I think you've given excellent advice to us already today. But um, I suppose what might people be interested if they if any okay give give future two th- two bits of advice one for young actors mm-hmm. and two for celebrities who have to work with mischief. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, for the first part. I would say two things. 
one of the best pieces of advice I ever got when I was a young actor is the one that I'll relay to you. There is no room for you in show business. You have to make room. No one is going to give you anything. Mm. You should not expect anything. You should create the circumstances that you can so that you become necessary. Wow. Okay? Uh, And I would also say, like, as part of that, there are many things you cannot control in this industry. So take care of the things you can control. And one of the things you can control is your work ethic. Are you taking classes? Are you reading scripts? Are you, if your goal is to become an actor, are you doing something every day that contributes to that goal? Mm -hmm. Because if you're not, then maybe what you're interested in is something else. Mm. So those are the two pieces of advice I would give. Mm -hmm. For mischief, I would say, (laughs) don't you dare go into this with an ego. (laughs) Be prepared to fail. Be prepared to try. Be prepared to have fun. Oh, that's excellent. I will, I'm prepared to fail, try and have fun. <laughs> and I, I want to ask you one more thing. You know, you saw Peter Pan, obviously, at least eight times while we were in L.A. If there was a part that we... And we gave you time to rehearse. And there was another part you would like to play in Peter Pan Goes Wrong. Who do you think... Which role speaks to you? Oh, my gosh. I have to say, I never thought about that. <laughs> and which is a rare thing for an actor. You know the joke about yeah. an actor in a light bulb? How many actors does it take to um, change, change a light, light bulb? A hundred. One to change a light bulb and 99 to say I could have done that better. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Very good. <laughs> um, but I don't think that... Let me think through the... the I, there was When I was watching it, I was honestly so in awe of everything you guys were doing. It never occurred to me that I would replace one of you you know you know or 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 even want to do what you're doing um because it's it was so good and 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 i loved it and i valued everyone um but yeah i i I, i'm sorry it's if it's a disappointing answer but it's honest i reckon i'd cast you as jonathan who plays peter pan oh interesting you know i reckon that would be quite fun because you could play you could pretend to be because you're definitely not one an arrogant actor and uh, and play up to all of that and then get your comeuppance it could be quite good that's true that's true that that's and you know i love being physical on stage yes, so of course that, yeah that, that you were so nice. physical in the show yeah and his physicality is so fantastic the I wire know. work involved the precision of it every night is something i never cease to to respect um yeah but that would that would be interesting and uh yeah sure <laughs> <laughs> well you know watch this space Uh, thank you so much for taking some of your precious time in London to spend with us with Mischief and with me that was a pleasure it's always good to talk to you I feel like this is our our one chance to catch up actually I know we were like (laughs) when are we going to hang out it's going to have to be the podcast itself right Um, but you never know maybe we'll be able to grab a coffee but thank you so much well done again for yesterday and, uh, and thank you for coming in to speak to us thanks for having me Thank you all for listening to the Mischief Makers podcast. You can find all our episodes where you found this one. And you can find more about Mischief on mischiefcomedy.com. Goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.